0: Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, presented by Dunkin' Donuts. Our favorite. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to chat candidly about what it takes to get to the top, and then, what it's like when you actually get there.
1: So, this is a podcast about the real stuff the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, and we have only one rule on this one no BS. So before we introduce you to our guest, we want to introduce you to our new favorite coffee from our good old friend, Duncan. Right now, they have these Girl Scout cookie-inspired
0: flavors. And you love cookies. I love cookies. We all know that. But in case you're not a Thin Mint person like me.
1: You have other options, like a coconut caramel,
0: or I know you actually will really like this, peanut butter cookie. That's my favorite. I know. I'm so excited. Thanks, Duncan. Can't wait to try it out. So please join us in welcoming our guest, Joanna Coles. You know her as one of the most powerful people in media. She is someone that we have looked up to for a very long time. She's the former editor-in-chief of Marie Claire and Cosmopolitan. She's now the chief content officer at Hearst. And she just released a book that's called Love Rules, How to Find a Real Relationship in a Digital World. Go check it out. And today, we're going to talk with her about the not-so-glamorous sides of her career uh, Joanna, welcome to the couch. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Glad
2: that there's a little room for me on the couch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to have you here because you have been someone we have gone to for advice many times over the last few years. You were someone that we, you were like on our list of people we had to meet when we first started that we would see in an event and would like literally rock, paper, scissors shoot, who should go over to say hi, because we were nervous. And then you became uh, someone that we were like, oh my God, she talked to us. Maybe we really can reach out for advice and then have become a friend. So uh, it's really exciting for us to have you here. There's no other way to say it. You are a force in the best way. So I would love
0: to talk about how you became this way. I think that when, well, I think the one thing that we think about when we say force is you come across as really fearless. How did you start to develop that quality? Like, do you f- define yourself that way? I don't think of myself that way at
2: all. I'm thrilled that you think of me like that. <laughs> I guess what I have is an intense curiosity. So that allows you to ask questions and be genuinely interested in what people respond with. And so I think that's added to what people think of as a fearless. Quality And when I was growing up, my father said to me, if you have a question, you won't be the only other person in the room wanting to ask that question. So never be afraid to ask it. And as a general rule, it's worked pretty well.
1: And that's how I mean, you started your career as a journalist. So... I think, obviously, you took that advice to heart. And it's actually one of the things when we talk about, like, writing The Skim every day, we're like, this is our question. Everyone else is going to have that question. And that's actually how we came up with our format. So how did you go from being a journalist to becoming the Joanna Coles that we know today?
2: Well, I. Uh,
1: <laughs> skim that for us. Who please.
2: knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's the, here's the, what was the great revelation to me. I had children and in the changing of my job from being a foreign correspondent where I had to drop everything and roar around in this particular instance America uh I couldn't do that anymore when I had my second son and I realized I had to change jobs I took a desk job because I needed to be able to control my schedule more in fact I didn't end up controlling it, it was controlled by the then editor um And I hated having a desk job, but what I needed was hours that were reliable so I could have childcare and I could uh, make sure that I could see my children because it became clear to me that I couldn't see them. And that was not the job's fault. I just couldn't make it work. And so I changed jobs, took a desk job and ended up sliding into management, which was not what I'd expected, but turned out to be enormous fun once I'd pulled myself out of the middle of the pack. And I think being stuck in the middle of the pack when you have young children is one of the most miserable places to be because you have no control of your schedule. You don't have enough money and um, you are always beholden to someone else. And the thing I like to emphasize to especially young women in their 20s and 30s, it's so much more fun being in charge and it's so much easier. (laughs) You get paid more, you get more support and you get to control your schedule. And I've talked to junior senator in New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, relentlessly about this, because she says, people say to her, how could you be a senator with young children? And she said, oh, it's so much easier. I run my office. If I want to pick the kids up at four and go back to work at seven, I can. I don't have someone telling me I can't do that.
1: When you started out, were you most motivated by Finding um, something that fulfilled like your passion for writing and asking questions and kind of being in this media world, were you motivated by money or were you motivated by what would allow you to have that, um, for lack of a better word, balance, if you will, at home? Uh,
2: I had no idea of what balance was. I still don't. And I don't think you can achieve balance. So my life is continually out Mm -hmm. of balance. And uh, I swing from one extreme to the other like a a crazy human pendulum. Uh, And I long to land in the middle, but I haven't done so yet. (laughs) I was motivated purely by the fact I love to write. I was able to write and enjoyed it and wanted to get paid for it. I've never been motivated by money. Sadly, I now realize, if only I had been (laughs) earlier on in my life. Um, But I'm slightly more motivated now. I've got college fees to pay. Um, But I never wanted to have a job where it felt like you were working. I wanted to wake up in the morning and bounce out of bed and be super excited about the day ahead. And so far, I have managed to do that. So So
0: what we obviously both have a lot of questions. (laughs) What does motivate you now? if it's not primarily the money and you've had a lot of experiences and what i think we're both so impressed by for you is that you're you're always doing something Like you've done so much in your career and yet you're always looking for something new.
2: Well, I'm motivated by what's new. I love finding out what's new. I was super excited to uh, get involved with digital when that Mm -hmm. became clearly And we should say you're on the board of
1: Snap and you were one of the first real names to really um, lend your support publicly to Well, I was
2: a very early adopter of it because Mm -hmm. it was so clear to me that this was definitely going to be a way people were communicating. And also they were very passionate about building a closed journalistic platform with respected media brands to give people information. And as we've seen what's happened with Facebook, it's turned out to be a very prescient move on Snap's behalf. Uh, But I'm motivated by what's new. I love new things. I just came from a very interesting lunch with the founder of Spotify. They just went public today. (laughs) Yes, that was very exciting. And so, you know, you see all these things that we could never have imagined five or 10 years ago. And David Carey, who's the head of the magazine division, Hurst uh, always quotes, and I love this story, that in 1895, the man who was running the patent office said, I wonder if we should close the patent office down because there have been so many new inventions in the you know 1890s that it's clear no one will invent anything interesting again. <laughs> Imagine thinking like that. It's extraordinary. So thank goodness yeah. they didn't close the patent office down. And... For anybody applying to college now, I'm told that the key thing is you must apply for a patent. So when you're interviewing for college or when you're doing oh your God. your common app, you can say I've applied for a patent <gasps> patent pending.
1: Oh, my God. That
2: puts you into another pile for MIT or wherever you want That's to go. That's scary. That, is, That's that makes scary. me want to throw
1: up. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, so when I think about you, there is a story
0: that um, we had an interaction once that I think about this all the time. We ran into Joanna staring <laughs> at a counter at Celine, just thinking about what it would one be one day like. we could afford this bag
1: and then we saw joanna was like what are you girls doing and we were like nothing just looking and then we uh came to your office uh about a year ago and you you said to us you know we walked in and you know danielle and i tend to be um it's very uncomfortable to brag about yourself and we you know our we always think like our moms always told us like be polite, don't be a show off, don't um, you know, make people want to like you. And so we were giving you updates about the business, and we were talking about you know our material goals, and we were like, you know, each want to be able to afford this designer handbag. And you put down your notebook and you said, and I'm not gonna do your accent, but you said, girls, dream bigger. You said, I have every male CEO coming in here, and they're like, I am taking over the world, I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna reinvent this, and you're sitting on something amazing, dream bigger, a bag like. Like you you literally said grow a pair. So I think about that a lot because it. We left that meeting and we were like, holy shit, she is right. And it wasn't about the bag, obviously, but it was about how to how to own what it is your what, how to own your vision, how to brag about yourself, how to. Um, politely show off, I would say. And it was a, you know, it's a big deal to get time on your calendar and to come to your office. And we, we weren't telling our big story because it didn't feel natural to us. And we want we felt more natural being reserved, if you will. And when we, you know, we just announced that we raised money and when we went through this last round, we really tried to channel that in every meeting of like, how would a male CEO walk into here? Let's dream big. Forget about the bag. Talk about how we're going to change the world. And it's not that we never thought that way. It was just that it felt unnatural to show that to other people. And I'm curious, who taught you to think that way?
2: Uh, Well, I love that story, and I'm thrilled that in some small way. I've had a tiny amount of influence. Uh, No one taught me. I just watched it happening. And I would see young women coming in with businesses that started And they didn't, they literally didn't have as big ambitions as the guys I was seeing coming in. And I was just struck by that. And I think one of the issues for women is we don't talk about women's lives in the same way that we talk about men's and we talk about women's lives in terms of balance which mm-hmm. you already are I me hate about. that word
1: and I hate that I said it uh,
2: well it's and yeah. it's interesting that you said it yeah. I hate it too and sometimes of course I'm craving balance or craving I'm never actually craving balance I'm craving a bit of time off mm-hmm. and often time off from myself which is, is that yeah. the greatest gift of all and I just think that women aren't taught and don't see as many women out ahead of them founding companies which is what's so great about what you've done and also I absolutely don't think you need to brag the obvious uh, thing you can do is just hold up the phone and point to the skim I would think any minute anybody says to you what do you do and you say well I'm a co-founder of the skim they fall to the ground and start kowtowing and they should do what you've done is
1: astonishing (laughs) thank you you. and uh, and exciting We have a lot more to talk about with our guests, but before that, we wanted to first tell you a few more things about our partner, Dunkin' Donuts. One of the reasons we are so happy to be partnering with them is, yes, they keep us caffeinated and they celebrate entrepreneurs, but they also have this amazing new coffee out now that is really special on a lot of different levels.
0: From now until May, they're bringing you all of your favorite Girl Scout cookie-inspired flavors into a legit cup of coffee. That is magic. Magic. They've got Thin Mints, Coconut Caramel, and Peanut Butter Cookie Flavors that has my name all over it.
1: And the reason we love it is because we really love Girl Scout Cookies. And honestly, who doesn't? So what the Girl Scouts stand for. It is the largest girl leadership organization in the United States and helps girls learn the entrepreneurial skills to be the next business leaders. And of course, we can't say how much uh, that means to us to hear that. So maybe we need to get some Girl Scouts on here as guests for our next season. Oh,
0: I would love that. That's a great idea. In the meantime, before the next season, go get some Dunkin' coffee. In prepping for this, I read a quote that I think was from a long time ago, but I, I really loved hearing this. And you said, I'm just, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, I'm just as interested in mascara as I am the Middle East. And it was, to me, one of those moments where I was like, well, I feel the same way. And I think a lot of people do. And I think in today's kind of news society, there, there seems to be this idea, and, and it's certainly something that fueled us starting the company, of you can, you know, that there are only some certain acceptable ways to get news, or there, there's some kind of standard for how news should be presented. And I feel like, especially with Cosmo growing up, really thinking about it, that broke the mold to me. How did you think about that?
2: Uh, well, I'm interested in everything. And I also know that I haven't got enough time to be knowledgeable about everything. I can ask questions about everything. But what you want to know as a person working in the workforce and having some degree of seriousness is you need to be on top of things. You need to know what's going on. Happily, we have Jared Kushner sorting out peace in the Middle East for us. So that helps us all sleep at night. But I think you want to be informed. And what I liked about the skin was it was a very efficient way of getting informed really quickly, which is what everybody wants. And I am interested in mascara. I love applying mascara. I love the five minutes I have in the morning when I'm throwing makeup on. What's your favorite on. mascara? Um, well, actually, I, a friend gave me a mascara called Better Than Sex, which Ooh. I really I feel like you aww. wrote that line. I, I almost <laughs> wrote that headline, or I would have done when I was at Cosmo. But I, uh, it's in a lovely sort of blush tone tube. And I also like Dior Show. And who doesn't like CoverGirl mascaras? So the truth is I'm promiscuous when it comes to to mascaras. I'm disloyal. Um, But I like all of them. But I love them and I can put on my mascara as I'm watching news about the Middle East. But I think... What was also behind the comment was this idea that women somehow weren't capable of understanding both or being interested in both. And particularly that accusation was leveled at women's magazines, which at the time I was editing and I felt very passionate that we can by stealth inject some more seriousness in here, especially about women failing to make the leadership uh, positions that they should do, given that men and women are educated at equal level at college. I'm
1: curious you are a master networker and I've watched you in a room and it's not like oh how you work the room but you are you are always um, figuring out who to make connections with and you are always figuring out how to meet interesting people and whether that is someone of your stature or whether it's someone who is in college and trying to figure out how to to build their own network like how do you think how do you think through that? How do you figure out um, what are your what are your keys to, to networking? I feel like when I see you, you have absolutely no shame. I've never seen you be shy, and even now, Danielle and I go to events, and like it's very awkward to go to people you don't know. And we literally still rock paper scissors shoot and are like, "It's your turn." So. How do you do it? How would you tell someone to do it? Well,
2: one of the things you have, actually, is you have each other. Uh, We don't think we don't know that. (laughs) Well, that's both good and bad, right? Because if you go somewhere on your own, you can't fall back on someone else. And actually, I know when I've traveled with people, you end up falling back on them rather than just taking the leap. But I also think it it helps. Listen, I I do it by default. I'm an extrovert. I get ideas from talking to people. I love talking to people, and I'm interested to know what they're thinking about. And so I don't find it as difficult as I do other things. What
1: are the things that make you insecure? Having to sit
2: quietly and write makes me feel insecure. Really? Yeah, I find that onerous partly because I have such ADD brain at this point that I find actually having to sit down and concentrate quite hard. Once I'm over the hump and I can do it, I really enjoy it. But I find the sitting down and getting in the mood really onerous.
0: That's so surprising to me given how you started. So today, do you consider yourself more on the creative journalist side or do you consider yourself more on the business side? No, I'm definitely
2: more on the creative journalist side, but I like the discipline of the business side. Like I wouldn't want to do something forever that didn't make money. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be interesting to me because I like the commercial and creative challenge of putting the two together. And when you think of, you know, the great designers, Mark Jacobs, or you think of Michael Kors uh, or Christian Dior, those people that are able to marry commercial skills with creativity fascinate me. And the ability to predict what people are going to respond to in a positive way, what they're going to enjoy, what they're going to crave is really fun. We're going to
1: take one
0: more quick break, but please stay with us. So like a lot of you guys listening, I'm really busy. I don't have a lot of time to try new recipes, so I end up ordering out a lot. But I'm trying to change it. All right, what are you going to do? Well, so I heard of this new thing. I'm trying out a meal kit service. I'm really liking this one. It's called Sunbasket, which is kind of like the healthy, organic version of the meal kits for people who are paleo, gluten-free, vegan, all of that stuff. Great thing about Sun Basket. it takes about 30 minutes, and I guarantee, Carly, even you could do it. You make time for that. Okay. <laughs> and for anyone listening who wants to try it, we want to give you some cash off. So go to sunbasket.com slash skim S-K-I-M-M, and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash skim, S-K-I-M-M. Hopefully you guys know that by now. I'm for, sorry, i I couldn't understand what you said. Did you say the skim? No, oh. I said sunbasket.com slash skim, S-K-I-M-M. Did you get it? I did, thank you. Okay, for $35 off. When we started out this conversation, we were talking about your change from having a, a news career into the the magazine world. Um, and you talked about kids being a large part of that. How does your experience being a woman who is at the top of her game um, I might not and managing? Be at the top. I might have some more steps to go. No, I mean <laughs> more like in the media world, like you are at the top of when we think about players in this game. I, I think you still have a lot to do. Um, but I, I'm saying more like, you are a role model for women in this industry. How does that? How have you evolved, um, or your experience in moving from news into the magazine world? Because of you know being a, a mom and thinking through what you wanted um, in terms of of having both. And I'm trying not to use the word balance as we discussed. Um, how does that change how you manage, or how does having those experiences influence your management style, especially having a team? Uh, that I'm assuming is made up of a lot of women who are younger in their careers. Well,
2: one thing I always say to younger women, and thank you for saying that, and I don't feel like I'm a role model and I wouldn't want to be a role model other than saying you can have kids and you can have a job. And I really urge you, if you want to have kids, to do that. Because not to have kids, if you're just slow to decide that you want them, is a terrible price to pay for spending too much time at the office. Mm-hmm. That I would say. And I always worry that young women leave it too late under the premise uh, or assuming that somehow uh, tech and tech fertility uh, IVF will, will save them because the odds are against you. And I do say that in my new book. There's a whole chapter about how if you want children, you need to think about it because at 38, it's a really different decision than it is at 28 or even 32. And in terms of how it helps you manage, I think it gives you much more perspective on how to manage, which is not to say that people who don't have children don't manage well. Of course they do. If you like managing, you probably do it reasonably well. But I've always said to my staff, because I've worked with people who weren't sympathetic to having children. And I've worked with a group of men who all had stay-at-home wives. If your kids need to go to the doctors for a shot, just tell me. I would much rather know that's where you are than you've feel you have to call in and say, I've got a headache, I'll be in three hours later. Or I'm meeting someone for, a you know, I'm doing a meeting out of the office when it's not true. Because that sort of burden adds extra pressure to women. And I'd much rather know if you have to go for a kid's concert, we can all work around it, you mm-hmm. can work around it. And I think that when people have kids, they've got a deadline and they've got to get out by then and they want to get their work done by then. That's certainly been my
1: experience. Are you an intimidating boss?
2: Uh, I hope not. I hope I'm a clear boss. I think the hardest people to work for are people who aren't clear. So you're not quite sure what they're asking you a to do and mm-hmm. you're not quite sure what they're saying. And I think if you work with me it's fairly clear what I'm saying. Were you
1: always clear? Like cuz I think that's something that you know I personally struggled with is that you think you're being clear and you ha- I really had to work on my communication style um and the way that I communicate to make sure as I've scaled a team that when I think I'm being clear does the other person really understand what I'm saying? Was that something that came naturally to you or is that something that you learned over time? I've always been fairly direct, actually. So what's been hardest for you in management? Like what have you had to learn as you go?
2: Well, I think saying no to people is hard. It's really hard. Someone once gave me the book of a thousand no's, which is literally the word no written a thousand <laughs> times. And you're like, oh, this is so straightforward. And actually, it's incredibly empowering, though quite difficult to just say the word no and then silence. And I'm not brilliant at using silence as my tool. Mm -hmm. Um, I found many things, you know, challenging. Um, Difficult people are difficult people and they can be a real challenge to manage and you end up trying to avoid them.
1: Do you have a go-to interview question that helps kind of weed people out for you?
2: No, I don't at all, actually. And I don't believe in asking people sort of trick questions at interviews. I think I have a fairly strong sense. I've made two really bad hires. I'm not going to tell you who they were. But both times I was pressurized uh, to hire them. And I did hire them by someone who should have known better than to foist them on me, actually.
0: Did you uh did you know when you made the hire or once they started that it was going to be a bad hire
2: no I had an instinct with one of them with someone else I thought oh they'll they'll be great and in fact they didn't turn out to be great and they the other person I had an instinct which I should have followed I was just under a lot of pressure to hire them
1: what um what critical feedback have you gotten from your managers and bosses over the years Uh, Sometimes
2: that I was trying to boil, uh, not what is it, boil water. It's the expression when you're trying to do too much. Mm -hmm. Like I I can get very distracted by the next new big thing. Mm -hmm. And so that can pull me off projects which take longer to develop. Uh, And because I spent the first 10, 15 years of my career working to a daily or a weekly deadline, I'm a great person that works to a deadline. But if I don't have a deadline, I can let it sort of traipse on or I, I don't prioritize it.
0: I understand that I think that's the the t v part of me. I'm really good on deadlines, and then not so much when there isn't one
2: right, well, and sometimes just triaging what you have to do, I have to kind of remind myself to do that, yeah,
0: what's the worst piece of advice you've gotten?
2: Ah uh, God, I can't remember actually the worst piece it's a good it's a good question. I mean, probably like it was probably the hiring situation actually, mm-hmm. I would say. You know, recommendations from people who are trying to get rid of people or recommendations of people that they're trying to impress.
1: How do you deal, how do other people know that you're stressed? And when you are stressed, what do you do? Like, are you a crier? Are you a yeller? Do you need to be by yourself? Like, what, what happens?
2: Uh, no, I'm not a. I'm not a crier. I've never cried in the office, actually. As you can probably tell, I've just never cried uh, ever, <laughs> actually. I don't understand what it is. Um <laughs> But I've heard people talk about it, and every now and then I pretend to understand it. And then
0: when we um, ask you if people find you intimidating, you're, you're like, no, not at all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I've never cried in my life, ever. Uh, I, I'm just not. What can I say? I'm not a
2: crier. I'm fantastically insensitive, actually, so I don't understand <laughs> when people have insulted me. And, um, and also, if people say no to me, I just try and find another Wait, way Wait, if someone cries it. to
1: you, are you very uncomfortable? Uh,
2: a little uncomfortable. Oh my god,
0: Danielle, cry. Let's cry. No, but
2: that,
1: but that's good to know.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm never going to cry. I want to talk about. I'm
2: actually quite sympathetic if people cry. I'm just as it happens, not a a weeper.
0: But I want to talk about hearing no. So we heard this story about you as we were doing prep, which I found not surprising but amazing that to get the editor's job at Marie Claire, you jumped into your boss's car I think to the airport to pitch yourself is that
2: true that is true well what happened was I went for the interview and I had been away on vacation and unbeknownst to me the interview had been changed and there'd been a a miscommunication on actually answer machines as it was then Uh, this was for the job at Marie Claire so I turned up at the office fully blow-dried in a new suit very excited and they said oh I'm so sorry miscommunication she's actually on her way to the airport so I said well would I be able to ride in the car with her on the way to the airport? And they said, uh, well, let's check. They called her and they said, she's about to set off. If you can get to her house, which was on Park Avenue, in the next 10 minutes, you can ride to the airport with her. Because I thought she'll be busy and it's mm-hmm. such a waste of the time taking a cab and all she'll be do- taking a car and all she'll be doing is, is sitting on her uh, you know, email or whatever. So I then roared out of the building, literally stood in the middle of 6th Avenue, flagged the first car down, which was first cab down, which actually had someone in it. I pulled the man out, (laughs) threw him to the curb, hopped in the cab. And then as we got to Park Avenue, I saw her car pulling out and driving up Park Avenue. So we then drag raced up Park Avenue with me gesticulating (laughs) in a friendly way from the cab. And she realized it was me. And then she pulled in and
0: then I hopped into her car. And by the time I got to the airport, I knew I had the job. I, okay, so what do you say to yourself? Like, is that your first reaction? Okay, let me see if I can ride with her, and then I'm going to pull a guy out of a car, and then I'm going <laughs> to drag race. Like, there are multiple times there where I think someone. You had else to make a choice, and you chose the stopped. aggressive choice. Well, do you know the truth is, I'd had my hair blow dry, <laughs> I'd had a manicure, and I was wearing a new suit, and I was like, damn it, I'm never going to feel this yeah. together again. And that sort of gave me the energy to do it. Do you say something to yourself? Like, do you have a mantra? Or, like, a chant (laughs) for anything that, like, gives you, keeps you focused in those moments.
2: Occasionally, I mutter. I tell you what I do do. I mutter English poems, which I was forced to learn by heart as a child in English school. So I have a couple of poems that I sort of mutter under my breath.
0: Can you give us one? No. (laughs) No. No, those are my
2: secret things. And also, okay. oddly, the poems themselves are slightly trite, but it's the rhythm that I find reassuring and the fact I know them off by heart. But there's a great one by Yeats, an Irish Air Forceman foresees his death, which is a very good poem. It's got a beautiful rhythm and it's got a very last sad quatrain and you just think it's fine. I can do this.
1: You you come off like I know you don't cry, but you come off so strong together together. Um ambitious and just like you go for it are you like this at home like would your would your childhood friends say you've always been like this like how are you when you just sort of turn off and you're with your kids and you're with your family are you the same probably probably I don't know I don't you see I don't see myself like that at all how do you see
2: yourself Uh, Well, I just see myself as me sort of bumbling along from one crisis to another and trying to resolve it as best I can, which is largely what my job is at this point, um, with a few new things in between. Um, No, I mean, your family see you sort of raging when they don't do as you ask them to.
1: Does your family, are they amazed by where you've gone in your career? Are they surprised or are they just like, Joanna was always going to do something?
2: No, I think from a very early age, from the age of 10, I was making magazines and making doll's clothes. So it wasn't that odd that Mm -hmm. I would then end up pursuing it as a career. And when I was in my teens, I won a couple of national competitions for writing. So people knew that that's what I was interested in. And it just seemed obvious to keep going.
0: So the last question I have is, how do you find a real relationship in a digital world? Oh.
2: <laughs> thank you for asking. I think you're referring to my book, Am I? Love it Rules. was just
0: on my, on my was, mind. Thank, thank you yeah. for
2: asking. So here's why I wrote this book. I was sitting next to the daughter of friends of mine. She was 20 and she was at a very good liberal arts college. And I asked her what she did on Fridays and Saturday nights because I was genuinely, is she in the drama club? Does she go to sports? I don't know what. What she does. And this was a girl I'd known since the age of six, smart kid, been to great schools, highly intelligent woman. And she told me that she pre-gamed with her friends. They went out, they got blackout drunk, hooked up, and then on Saturday mornings, they went down to the um, college wellness center to get Plan B together. And I thought, oh God, this does not sound fun. And the more I asked around, the more I heard that this was actually fairly standard behaviour. Then I discovered there was an enormous amount of binge drinking at college campuses, which we know. Mm -hmm. But the more research I did on it, the more worrying it became. I mean, it's now a rite of passage that ambulances start driving up on Friday and Saturday nights of college to take out kids who are literally blackout drunk you've got 25% of young American women taking antidepressants. You've got one in five or one in three, depending on the figures saying they've been sexually assaulted. And it seemed clear that our dating lives were under such pressure that people felt they needed alcohol to get through the evening and it wasn't making them happy. And I didn't hear people really talking about falling in love. And The digital landscape has obviously, digital has disrupted everything, but it's really disrupted how we relate to each other and it's disrupted how people meet and how they date. And on the one hand... It's fantastic to have digital apps. This book is not remotely anti-digital. It's saying make sure that you use them in the most effective way. And one of the most interesting things that happens when you meet someone online is that you have these four selves that come to the table. There are the two of you, your actual selves, and then you have these digital selves that actually behave slightly differently Mm -hmm. than you do in real life. Your conversation gets accelerated. It becomes... Uh, usually sexually more kind of flirty than it would do if you were Mm -hmm. actually sitting across someone in a bar. And that impacts then what happens if you actually get offline and meet them in real life. And the British police, who've compiled all sorts of stats around this, are now saying that they've uncovered a new sexual predator, um, because you're six times more likely to get assaulted if you meet someone online and then go back home with them, or they come back with, home with you on your first date. So it's clearly a different landscape for people who are getting divorced and going back out there. It's new territory, and the book is really a series of quite common sense rules about how to protect yourself and have fun and find someone that you can really share your life with. And I also think in the in the Me Too slash Times Up moment it can feel very retro, almost embarrassing for women to say, hey, I want to meet someone and have a baby and fall in love and have this big life with them. And I think women are under such pressure now that it's really more complicated than it was. And that's why I wrote the book.
1: I'm very excited to read this book. Um, My last question to the expert networker, who have you not met that you want to network with? Well,
2: the people I always want to meet are young people coming up who've got something new that I don't know about. i am been incredibly... Um, lucky that I've met all sorts of people. And the other thing is, what's nice is that people introduce you to other people. I love connecting people. And I'm one of those people that's also been lucky to be connected to other so people. So a
1: lot of our readers that listen to this then write in and tell us, um, you know, they're starting their own business or they have an idea, how do they get ahead? So if you would be willing to talk to one of them, what are you looking for in that conversation? Like, what, what? how should we filter that for you, putting oh, you on the spot?
2: Well, I, I mean, someone... Who has a great idea? I mean, I, th- I think you want people who've got good ideas and who've got the sort of work ethic to see them through and that the idea, that they have some proof that they think the idea can work. I get approached by people all the time who have an idea, media idea, mm-hmm. and you're like, you've done no work on this. This makes no sense. No advertiser is going to support you. You've got no business So if model. we filter
1: this for you. I if mean, you filter it. Will, so you, someone, talk, will you talk to one of our... Absolutely. Okay. Hopefully, I you, might you invest hear, in you it. hear it. You heard it here. So okay. have a good
0: idea, and we'll put you in touch with Joanna. Joanna, thank you very much for coming to the couch. We My have, pleasure. Thank you. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Subscribe to our daily email
1: newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day
0: sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M.com. Two M's for a little something extra.